Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and our minds this morning be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. When Joseph was a kid, he had great dreams for his life. But all of those dreams appeared shattered when his older brothers got fed up with all the favoritism their father Jacob showed Joseph. And so they sold him as a slave to a caravan heading toward Egypt. Sibling rivalry has always been common, but this was an unthinkable crime even in ancient society. And before long, Joseph found himself rotting away in a forgotten corner of an Egyptian jail. And thanks to his brothers, he had fallen about as far in life as anyone could go. This was certainly not his dream. But it was there in the bottom places of life that Joseph discovered the steadfast love of God. And that made all the difference in his life. Sooner or later, we all find ourselves on the bottom of life. Often it's because someone else has put us there. Maybe you were sent to the bottom by a parent who was too hurt to love you or a friend who betrayed and lied about you. Maybe the bottom came when someone you loved moved out or when the employer you trusted let you go to save a little money. Or maybe it came the day you learned your child is a substance abuser or the day you discovered your husband hits you when he gets angry. Maybe the bottom came when you were struck by a terrible disease. You felt like your life was over. You might as well be wasting away in an ancient Egyptian jail. This was not what you dreamed. But if, like Joseph, you lifted up your eyes to find the steadfast love of God with you, it changed everything. You didn't just survive the disaster. You came out of it as a different person. Whenever you find God's love in the bottom places of life, it changes the way you live on the rest of the levels of life. You take more risks. You take God more seriously and take yourself less seriously. You enjoy the gift of the day and don't worry so much about tomorrow. After all, what is the worst that can happen? Are you going to fall back to the bottom? Well, you've already been there, and that was where you discovered God was faithful. We in the Reformed tradition especially those who were more Calvinist of bent originally, but Lutherans too, used to account for our problems by the doctrine of human depravity, which means that we're addicted to sin. But you don't hear too much about that anymore. Now most people don't blame their problems on being depraved, but on being deprived. Somebody took something away from me. And until we discover the sufficiency of the faithfulness of God, however, we will always live in either resentment or fear of being deprived. But those who have discovered self, the sufficiency of the steadfast love of God in the bottom places just don't scare quite as easily. That's why they make great leaders. They lead not with nervous reactions, but with freedom to do the right thing. Eventually, Joseph rose from the bottom of the jail to become the most, second most powerful man in Egypt. He married, had kids, and gave thanks day after day to his God, who was faithful. 
His first son he named Manasseh, which means makes to forget. And when that boy was born, Joseph said, God has made me forget all my hardships in my father's house. And he called this second son Ephraim, which means makes fruitful. And when Ephraim was born, Joseph said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my misfortune. And so on the surface, it appears that Joseph's sufferings and hurts were behind him now. He chosen not to be a victim anymore. He chose to get over it. But Joseph wasn't over it. He was still a slave to the bitterness and hurt his brothers caused him. Just because we recover from the adversity that others cause us, it does not mean that we've recovered from the hurt. That will require forgiving. And you'll never be free until you do that, and only you can give yourself that gift. When a famine developed back home, Jacob sent Joseph's brothers to Egypt to buy food, where Joseph was in charge of the distribution of relief aid. A lot of years had passed since the brothers sold little Joseph into slavery. He was now a changed man. And so his brothers didn't recognize him. But Joseph knew them the moment he saw them. How many nights had he seen their faces in his nightmares as he relived that awful day they stripped him bare, threw him in a pit, and sold him to slavers? Joseph knew these men all too well. And at first he kept his identity a secret and used his power to toy with the brothers. He treated them as strangers, which is what we always do with people who have hurt us. He spoke harshly to them. He called them spies and threw them in jail. He sent them back home with money hidden in their sacks to make them look like thieves and hid a silver cup in the sack of the youngest. Then he sent soldiers to bring him back to Egypt, knowing it would break the hearts of the brothers and his father. These are not the actions of someone who has made peace with the past. They're the actions of a man who wants a little payback. But Joseph found no joy in it, and no one ever does. Eventually, Joseph took a long, hard look into his brother's eyes, and then he began to weep. He wept so loudly, the whole household of Pharaoh heard him, and that was the sound of forgiveness. It was the sound of letting go and of finding his freedom from the hurt. And after the tearful reconciliation, the brothers brought their father, Jacob, back to Egypt, and there they all lived until Jacob died. (coughs) And if we read a little further into chapter 50, apparently the brothers couldn't quite believe that they were actually forgiven. In fact, as hard as it is to believe that you can forgive, it's always harder yet to believe that you are forgiven. The brothers assumed Joseph didn't kill them out of deference to their father. And after Jacob died, the brothers were terrified. They came back before Joseph and bowed down just as Joseph had once dreamed they would do when he was a boy. But the brothers weren't bowing to worship Joseph. They were bowing in fear of his anger. And this made Joseph weep again. But this time, his tears were out of compassion. We forgive in stages. And you know you've made it to the final stages of forgiveness when your tears of anger turn to tears of compassion for the person who hurt you. The late ethicist Lewis Smedes 
wrote that you have fully forgiven when you no longer think of the people as the ones who hurt you, and now think of them as the ones who need you. They do not need you to take care of them, to fix them, or to solve their problems. What they need is for you to free them. They need you to be the priest who announces God's absolution. That's asking a lot. How do we get to this place of moving from angry revenge to granting absolution? It's significant that Joseph first has to convince his brothers that he is free before he can convince them they have been freed by him. Only a free person can liberate another. And Joseph says two very important things to his brothers. First was to ask his brothers, am I in the place of God? There's so much freedom waiting for any who discover they do not have to be the judge. We have a judge. So do those who hurt us. In the words of the Apostle Paul, we have to make room for the wrath of God. Judgment is a business reserved to sacred activity. It's hard enough to live in this world that is so full of injustice. It's impossible to live in it with any peace if you assume the role of judging everyone who hurts you. And after a while, your heart will be so full of rage that there's no room left for love or hope or joy. That's why Jesus taught us to turn the other cheek. It wasn't meant to let the abuser off the hook. It was meant to let you off the hook for being an angry judge. It was meant to make you free. And the second thing that Joseph says is even more profound. Even though you intended to do harm to me, he said, God intended it for good. This is the mystery of God's unfolding drama in our lives. As a result of the brothers' actions, Joseph was sent to Egypt. As a result of being in Egypt, he rose to his position in Pharaoh's government. And as a result of being in power, he could save the family and the Abrahamic covenant from starvation. The evil of the brothers got Joseph into the right place. As Paul said, all things work together for good to those who, who love God and are called according to his purpose. God can redeem any evil with God's own good intentions. Now, at this point in the story, I find myself asking, why does God use evil to get us to the right place? Maybe it was necessary for Joseph to be in a powerful position in Egypt to keep the Hebrews from starving. But weren't there easier ways to get him there? Did he really have to go through slavery and jail along the way? Couldn't God have just given him a presidential appointment? Yeah. My theological question behind this is, why do good people have to be pushed around by mean people just to get to the right place? But a deeper reading of Joseph's story reveals that that's just another one of my bad questions. <laughs> or at least it's the wrong question. It's certainly not the question that God is asking. God is much more interested about who we are than where we get to in life. The good intention of God is not just to get us to the right place, but to mold us into a people who live by God's great faithfulness. And until your hearts, begins, hearts begin to overflow with gratitude for that faithfulness, you'll never be free to stop judging, resenting, and hurting. You'll never be free to laugh again or love unreservedly. And so wherever it is that you find this freedom is precisely the right place to be, even 
if it is in the bottom places of life. God does not cause your hurt. There are enough evil brothers and sisters in the world to account for most of that. The miracle is that God gets down into the midst of it. So you may find God's enduring love that will not let you go. Again, in the words of the late Lewis Smedes, when you forgive, you set a prisoner free. And then you discover that the prisoner was you. Amen.